1: Welcome to The midside where we solve all our problems by installing kiosks, because all you have to do is just click, and if you have the information, then you won't commit the crimes anymore. Anyone who commits a crime, it's only because they're lacking the information. I'm your host. Justin M. Lezneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Up to and including our support of Florida, because now apparently that is not only anti, uh, I don't even know how to say it at this point, anti LGBTQ plus IA plus plus two spirited. It's now apparently also racist. Florida is apparently also a very racist state. We'll get into that. We'll get into other updated farce. We got some COVID updated farce this week. We've got more educational updated farce. And then we have submitted by former co-host Daniel the tyranny of packed lunches, which gives us the name for this episode, uh, which I thought is is very revealing farce, which is why I wanted to talk about it, even though it's a Twitter thread. But before we talk about all that, I had to bring in my co-host, Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green.
0: Hello, hello. Actually I'm in beautiful Santa Rosa, California today, so I'm not even in Dale's Lawn. Um it's uh, uh I unlike the Times reporter Harriet Walker, I do not have nostalgia, and she is alone and having nostalgia for a COVID. COVID nostalgia. Have you seen this stuff? It's all over Twitter this week.
1: COVID you nostalgia said it to me? You, you said it to me, uh, and that article was paywalled for me because I wanted <laughs> to. Uh, I saw that article, and I was like, wow, that would be a great episode title, the COVID nostalgia edition of Welcome to the Midside. So I immediately wanted to, but then it was paywalled, and I was like, there's so much other good farce, and we have yeah. some farce about COVID that I didn't want to go into it. But what are people being nostalgic about <laughs> for <don't> COVID?
0: <laughs> Is it being the locked of, at home? It's being coddled by the government by everyone caring, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely batshit crazy. Like I, I, the the branch COVIDians, the branch COVIDians, man, the cult of death. This is, this is the cult of death.
1: Well, I think it's the cult of death necessarily, but I think it comes from the cult of laziness. And, And what I mean by that is, isn't this, William, isn't this related to the phrase adulting? And what I mean by that is I really hate the term adulting because it implies there are different modes of living life. It it implies like adulting is a thing you just you just do. Right. Uh, Whereas being an adult is just what you are and you can choose to live your life however you want. There isn't a mode of adulting and a mode of mode of non-adulting. That implies that there are times when you can be healthy and times when you can be unhealthy purposely. And, and that's really what this is, is people don't want to adult. They want somebody else to adult for them so they can continue to be a child because they don't want the responsibility of living because this is where the cult of death comes in. They're afraid mm-hmm. of life. They're afraid of themselves, which if you're afraid of life and afraid of yourself, that can only lead to death. And, and I think that's what this is really the nostalgia is related to.
0: They're afraid of life. They're afraid of uh, of death. And they're afraid of death. Being in charge of their own destiny, right? Yes. Like they just yes they they just can't they 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 uh, can't even, as the children say,
1: right? Yeah, it's just that's just a pet peeve of mine because I always see those shirts. I'm done with adulting. I'm going to Disney today. Well, why 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 is going to Disney not part of adulting? Why are you putting that in a separate category? Would somebody who prefers to spend their entertainment time going to an NFL game put, I'm done with adulting. I'm going to see Patrick Mahomes play. People wouldn't see it that way. It's just it's just very strange these activity groupings people have in their head because they and look. I don't want to give too much away because I think this goes perfectly into the uh, the tyranny of packed lunches. So why don't we yeah. put a pin in that? Yep. Why don't we put a pin in that? And actually, when we're talking about COVID nostalgia, William, uh, I think we have a pretty good farcical story this week for why we shouldn't be nostalgic for COVID and why we shouldn't want to be coddled by the government. Let's hit it up in Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Before I plug here, William, I was just listening to that that bumper music we have for Life on the Midside, Uh and wow, did did those lyrics not just apply to exactly what we were just saying when we were talking about COVID nostalgia, wanting to be coddled, and, and being afraid of life?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, pretty, it's pretty a great cool, song. Should,
0: cool. I'll I'll post a link to it uh, for folks uh, in Discord. I'll post the Apple Music and Spotify link for it, uh, later later this afternoon, so you could listen to the full song because the whole song just is so appropriate, especially for today's uh, episode.
1: Well, yeah, and that that's what's kind of cool and kind of crazy about this podcast in general, and and living the way we live, and that's part of the reason. Like, I can know I got I'm getting it right, is that song that was picked years ago still applies today. Yep. Anyway, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We accept any and all support. But I'm not going to take affirmations this week because I just affirmed myself by analyzing my bumper music choice. So how about this week you support us by a little bit of money or other materialistic goods? Other materialistic goods. Okay, let's get into the COVID farce here, okay? This is another one submitted by uh, former co-host Daniel. But, William, was this one all over the internet this week, too? Because I hope so.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was definitely out and about. Like, uh, you know, uh, Berenson, what's his name? The guy that got kicked off Twitter for reporting all of the truth. And now people are calling him, uh, saying that, uh, well, we didn't know what we, you know, all these things that you're pointing out back then. And he's like, I was saying this the whole time. He's right. been the Cassandra of the whole COVID situation.
1: Yeah, and, and I do want to be clear that when we talk about this, there is a little bit of, it's. It, it, hindsight is twenty twenty here. So we're going to discuss this and we're going to talk about the, the tragedy here. But the key thing when looking at this, I think, William, is how poor choices and how a bad perspective compounds over time. You know, I'm not trying to look back at anyone and be like, you're evil and you caused all these deaths and blah, blah, blah. But it's looking at how do we react to situations and how do we analyze situations in real time so we don't make things worse? It was a tough situation. How do you properly treat this virus? That's a tough situation. And I think during the pandemic, we said that. I mean, we lost some listeners because I, I made the claim of, you know, how many... Yes, would be acceptable, and people got mad at me about it because I, when I said that, I was recognizing that when you have a new virus that's sweeping the world, that's not easy to deal with.
0: I know we lost our one Canadian listener, and uh, and look how bad Canada got, right? Like what a what a indicator, right? What a what a forward looking indicator, right? Back then, of how bad it was going to get in Canada.
1: We, we didn't lose our only Canadian listener. Midsider Conrad still listens. Oh, okay. However, he's All no right. longer Canadian. And he moved from Canada. So Canada <laughs> well, lost him. Another <laughs> indicator. Another indicator. <laughs> right. So that was the dichotomy. If you were a Canadian midside listener during the pandemic, you either stopped listening to the midside or you moved to the United States. <laughs> That's really funny. Crazy. Okay. So from this article, uh, most COVID 19 deaths may be the result of a completely different infection. Wow. Shocking. Right. Because actually, before before we even get into this, William, wasn't one. I remember raising the question and correct me if this was in my head or not. But didn't I ask the question why the deaths were so high in America versus the rest of the world? Didn't I say that didn't make sense?
0: Yeah. Remember, we were trying to explain it maybe possibly due to the aging age and overweightness. Of, the, of yeah. the population, right? Like, we, we figured that All was right. a factor. And we did see some stories. Uh, those came out that, that that definitely did contribute, right? Like, there, it was the fact that we had uh, older and fatter people that made it uh, made uh, the infections more serious.
1: Right, just like in Italy. But here's, there's a, this story, I think, provides another link between us and Italy that shows why our deaths were so much higher than the rest of the world. A new analysis suggests that a high percentage of people who required help from a ventilator due to a COVID-19 infection also developed secondary bacterial pneumonia. This pneumonia was responsible for a higher mortality rate than the COVID-19 infection. So while COVID-19 may have put these patients in the hospital, it was actually an infection brought on by the use of a mechanical ventilator that was more likely to be the cause of death when this infection didn't respond to treatment. Our study highlights the importance of preventing, looking for, and aggressively treating secondary bacterial pneumonia in critically ill patients with severe pneumonia, including those with COVID-19, says Benjamin Singer, a pulmonologist at Northwestern University in Illinois. The team looked at records for 585 people admitted to the intensive care unit, At Northwestern Memorial Hospital, also in Illinois, they all had severe pneumonia and or respiratory failure and one hundred and ninety had covid-19. Now, as always, the this is a small study that we're assuming is representative of the population at large. Right. But that's how science works. Right. Whenever we do these pollings and these studies. Uh, Also, it's really important to sort of remember with things like this, as I was saying earlier, how difficult it is to make the call, to make the call of when to put someone on a ventilator and uh, how we handle when they are on the ventilator. Because how do we know when they've died from the secondary infection, if they would have survived without the ventilator? So this is not an easy decision to make, and this is not an easy story to analyze. However, I think William, if we look at the company, the countries that weren't as reliant on ventilators and see the lower death rates, we can make the assessment, make the, draw the conclusion. And this is correct me. If you disagree, we could draw the conclusion that our country's over reliance on technology and, need to treat, treat, treat rather than let things run naturally may have contributed to a higher death rate or surely did contributed to a higher death rate because we may have put people on ventilators earlier and we may have said, Oh, we need to intervene rather than letting COVID play out because we thought COVID was worse than it was.
0: Yeah. I think this is a a big example of how fear driven the the U.S. medical system was around COVID nineteen, right? And yes. we remember all the fear orgies that we had. The
1: uh, well, the, not uh, medical system, the entire culture, William. The entire culture. Yeah.
0: Well, but but you you would expect professionals to be professionals, Justin. I, I, like during yes. a during a there should be a higher a cyber, standard during, for a cyber, during a cyber you're not going to see me running around saying the sky is falling, right? Like I've been through this shit before you know, no matter how bad of a cyber attack that that's happened, I've, I've been there and done that. Right. Sometimes. So, cost it. When but,
1: there's the new cyber attack from Wuhan, you're not going to flip <laughs> out.
0: <laughs> no, no. And I'm not going to call for everyone to be locked in their houses. Um, but, but I think we, it, it is fair to accept a different professional behavior, but Justin, you know, I haven't really shared this on the show, but my, my dad had a bad fall uh, about a month ago and he broke some ribs and, And one of the big concerns was his breathing and pneumonia. Like they, I think they've already sort of picked up on this, like this idea of pneumonia and other, for other serious injuries. Because, you know, older folks uh, who remain, you know, obviously if you've broken a few ribs, you're going to be laying in bed because you're in pain, right? Um, So getting him sitting up without pain and getting him moving around was their number one priority because they were saying pneumonia prevention is like the risk here is, you know, obviously the physical injury, but then the pneumonia risk is serious for someone his age, right? So uh, so this is something that we know in other contexts is what I'm trying to say. And it, so for me, it's not as surprising. Like this is one of those things where I would not necessarily say, oh, well, they did it wrong because hindsight's twenty twenty. But I can point out another error here is that fear that pervaded the medical system when, when they were supposed to be the ones that were professionals.
1: Yeah, well, and I think, the fear point, it puts a nice little point on it because it seemingly prevents them from thinking about all of the possible consequences of their actions. And what I mean by that, William, is I, well, now I'm not a professional, but in hindsight, shouldn't it be obvious when you stick a tube in someone's nose or throat? That there's a possibility for infection?
0: Well, Justin, not only are you not a professional, but we have to keep in mind that...
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I am not a genius. But I yeah, think you also are correct true. on this
0: one. I think right. you're correct on this one.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Now, again, I'm looking at this in the year 2023, right? So it's not exactly fair to look back and say, hey, shouldn't this be obvious? However... Wait, 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 wait! Justin, Justin,
0: Justin, Justin! We we constantly hold people up to today's standards in the past, right? So, yes. uh, I think we I think we should just do it. Like, hey, <laughs> fuck you, doctors! You fucked up. You should have like it's not you should have known, right? Because uh, well, and, you know we we always I look back with perfect knowledge in history, and we blame right. people for not freeing slaves in 1492.
1: Yes, so we we could apply today's moral standards to. Uh, Yesterday, we could say it's your fault. COVID was worse in the same way that Martin Scorsese thinks all white people are evil for the way they handled, uh, quote unquote, Native Americans when we were conquering, I would say, this nation. Uh, So we could do that. However, the the point I'm making is I'm going to go even stronger than that, William. And what I mean by that is, isn't this basic enough that they should have as professionals known this? And wasn't it the fear that had them not thinking rationally about all the possible consequences? Because this is not a complicated consequence.
0: This is a known complication. And I think, Justin, there were doctors. If you remember, there were doctors fighting against sending older patients with COVID back to the nursing home that were fighting uh, putting people on ventilators. There were doctors yes. doing that, but they were they yes. were shouted down, right? Again, by this culture of fear, we were we were driven by panic uh, in right. the professional space,
1: right? And it's that's where it's not just the culture of fear; it's the culture of the the moral righteousness that exists around social justice now, and, and we'll see that uh, in the next story. Well, it's a consequence
0: uh, of government-controlled medical yes. system, right? Because yes. you, there is only one answer ever. There is only yes. one answer
1: and life you know we love to say science is a conversation but really William it's life is a conversation and that and that's what's been lost nowadays it's People aren't existing in a space together and figuring out how to coexist and having a conversation. It's, oh, I'm living here, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is the right way, and there's no longer a conversation. And this is an example of that, where really the greatest farce here is, as you pointed out, there were people who were concerned about this, but they were shouted down. And isn't that the greatest tragedy of all?
0: They were called COVID deniers. They were called COVID deniers. They were all lumped together
1: covid deniers for simply saying hey we know ventilators are an imperfect technology let's be careful with the hygiene of using these and making sure we're not making things worse and we're not overly using ventilators which is especially funny because aren't we dealing with an opioid crisis now because we overprescribe painkillers but then again yep. what did we do we overprescribe ventilators it, yeah, these conversations couldn't be had. And and that's the greatest farce of all. I think we can. I think, William, at least I can understand. And I, I think people in general are understanding enough that if fear was the only issue, people would be like, OK, we get it. you overuse ventilators because you were afraid because this virus was terrifying. But we can't ignore the context of the virus wasn't really that terrifying. It was made to be terrifying. By the 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 social justice woke cult, which shut down yeah. all conversation and s- fed into the fear cycle in which people had to pick a side. They either had to stop listening to the mid side or move to the United States if they lived in Canada.
0: <laughs> well, you know, maybe we add this to our list of COVID reparations. Because remember, I'm still, I'm still. In, in in favor of uh, COVID reparations, you know. Forget COVID uh, amnesty. We're, we're, I'm still in favor of COVID reparations. I just want to mes- mention, Justin, we have another Canadian li- listener, Josh M. He might be on the mid side. It sounds like he's still in Canada and listening to the mid side. So he's a true mid sider. He's in the middle.
1: Yeah. Well, there we go. A true mid sider. So maybe Josh M is the most mid sider. Maybe that's what the M stands for, Josh Mid sider. Maybe he is the most midsider of us all. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of places you may or may not want to go or may or may not want to live, uh, just yesterday, the day before we recorded this podcast, so you listen on Mondays, we record on Sundays, this article came out on Saturday, or this statement came out on Saturday. The NAACP issued a travel advisory for Florida, which, by the way, William... Am I wrong? Wait, wait, Justin, only... is there is there a
0: hurricane coming or something? That's, that's pretty what early I was for just going to
1: ask. Are travel advisories usually for weather or war? Is there have you
0: broken out into war out there? Are you, is, it's Cuba invading? What's going on?
1: Well, that's what they're arguing, but do you need a travel advisory for <laughs> war or should you be generally aware of where the war like do you need to have a travel advisory for Ukraine right now or a travel advisory for I think... North Korea? Like huh. So I'm going to read from the CNN article. The NAACP issued a travel advisory for the state of Florida in direct response to Governor DeSantis's aggressive attempts to erase black history and to restrict diversity, equity and inclusion in Florida schools. The group said in a written statement Saturday, the announcement. Why would hold days- on?
0: Hold on. Hold on. Why would that affect your going to Florida to to South Beach and and swimming. How would how does DEI educational things affect tourism?
1: So do you want to go to that point f- first or do you want to talk about the farce of what they're complaining about? Which one do you want to go uh, first?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I'm torn because okay. I'm trying That's to take them at question. their face value. I'm trying to take okay. them at their face value.
1: So. Uh, hold on to that. I think that's the ultimate point I want to build towards here, but I think we have to point out what they are complaining about first, because I think once we expose what they're complaining about, it shows the insidious answer to the question you asked. So allow me to continue for a moment here. The announcement came days after LULAC, the League of United Latin American Citizens. By the way, I wouldn't name my group LULAC. Doesn't that sound like a, a villain in a terrible science fiction movie?
0: It sounds like uh, Stardate, uh, 248 Mark III, where we're orbiting the planet LULAC, where we're opening <laughs> negotiations for entry to the United Federation of Planets.
1: Issued a travel advisory for Florida after DeSantis signed a new immigration law that will go into effect in July. Both LULAC and NAACP say actions under this. This sounds like bad science fiction. LULAC and NAACP say actions under the DeSantis administration are hostile to their communities. So you see how they're claiming it's a war with that word, William. Yeah, it's
0: hostile. And then communities. God damn it! Every, like we have to point this out because this is another. This is another indicator you can throw out. It's a. It's a heuristic. But you could throw out any anything anyone says if they say communities. They've already they've they've bought into the the false premise that people aren't individuals. Like you could just throw out anything they say just based on well, that.
1: And that's ultimately the first point here when they're complaining about things like critical race theory. Florida is openly hostile towards African Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ plus individuals. The NAACP said, "Well, William, they're not talking about two spirited people." which you need to talk about now. So I think the NAACP is is being, uh, being oppressive enough. here. I, yeah, didn't,
0: I, didn't hear a plus. I didn't hear a plus in there, so
1: yeah, uh, I'm already triggered. LGBTQ plus. Before traveling to Florida, please understand that the state of Florida devalues and marginalizes the contributions of and the challenges faced by African-Americans and other communities of color. And then... That's the end of the quote. Under DeSantis, Florida has banned the teaching of critical race theory. And look at what CNN says, which acknowledges systemic racism is a part of American history and challenges the beliefs that allowed it to flourish. Nice bias by CNN there. Yes. The governor said the concept would teach children, quote, the country is rotten, that our institutions are illegitimate. He also passed legislation barring instruction that suggests anyone is privileged or oppressed based on their race or skin color. The DeSantis administration also blocked a preliminary version of a new advanced placement course on African-American studies with Florida's Department of Education saying it, quote, significantly lacks educational values. The NAACP said DeSantis' actions are in direct conflict with the democratic ideals that our union was founded upon. Let me be clear, failing to teach an accurate representation of the horrors and inequalities that black Americans have faced and continue to face is a disservice to students and a dereliction of duty to all, NAACP president and CEO Derek Johnson said. So ultimately, William, it's important before we begin to point out that this is all an issue of public education. And what I mean by that is, Education is necessarily biased. And and this is something I tell my students. My job is not to teach you what to think. It's to teach you how to think. However, at a certain point, I cannot teach you without sharing some of my fundamental beliefs. I cannot teach you without telling you I believe reality is objective. That is a fundamental belief about how the world works. And I have to present that to you and say, I believe this is true. And I believe you should believe it's true because that's the point we're at with education is that we need yeah. to share this however when public school when the government is involved with education the government has to take a stance on that however the government and this is actually let me ask it as a question because this is what's difficult as someone who believes reality is objective let's just take the metaphysical let's go with this metaphysically i believe in primacy of existence OK. Mm-hmm. Is it government's job? Can government be a proper form of government if it does not take a stance on primacy of existence or implicitly is, ex- is it accepting primacy of consciousness if it says we can't take a stance? Because this goes directly into education. Yeah. Government is making a statement on what it believes is true and what the culture believes is true by setting a curriculum. And that's the problem with public school is public school is saying this is what everyone should know according to the government.
0: Yeah. I think this is, this is the flip side of the evolution debate from the eighties. What I mean by that yes. is this is a religion that feels like that has their own like uh, floating concepts that. If they aren't being taught in schools, must mean that you're teaching the opposite. So, for example, we have to teach creationism because teaching evolution um, is teaches against our religion, right? That was basically their argument, right? And so now we're hearing, now we're hearing, you must teach racism, social justice racism, otherwise you're denying racism. Now,
1: I would say use the name they use. Use the name they use. Critical race theory. Yes. That's the I, name that you used. must teach critical race theory or you're denying racism. But Justin,
0: in a sense, they're both right and wrong because their definition of racism is power plus privilege. So therefore, yes, teaching actual – like, Justin, were textbooks in the 80s? Did they talk about slavery and racism?
1: I mean, I grew up learning about slavery and racism.
0: I did too. Guess what? There was no social justice back then, or at least it was – relegated to you know higher education it wasn't it wasn't around and we still learned about racism and slavery and the impacts of, of those things
1: and William just to interrupt you for a second this is actually where I this is one of the things I agree with DeSantis on where it said, where the article says the governor said the concept would teach children the country is rotten and that our institutions are illegitimate. This continues your religion metaphor that we've talked about before, where yeah. they would say, yes, you were taught about slavery and racism in the eighties, but you were not taught, and I'm going to paraphrase and use a metaphor here, you were not taught original sin. You were not yeah. taught that you are fundamentally flawed, which is critical race theory. You are necessarily privileged and you necessarily benefit from systemic racism which is exactly what governor DeSantis is saying we don't want to teach that america had a poison pill from the beginning the original sin of individualism we don't want to teach that original sin individualism is the original sin of america that's essentially what he's saying so i agree with him on that point
0: yeah yeah and i think i think it's Justin, I, this is another example. I know I put it out last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. What a we've just completely. There's no article that we can read on this on this topic that grants, and this is from both sides of any of the arguments around Florida that grants and understands the premises of the other side. And here's what I mean by that: you used to would see stories, even even in the partisan, what is only left wing media in the in the '90s. You would still see them describe the point of view of the the other side of the argument using their own premises. They would talk about the premises that were that were underlying it. Here, there's none of that, right? Like it's either you, you're for critical race theory or you're racist, right? There's no right. charity given or or or, or steel manning the other side's argument, right? Yes. None at all. This was, Justin, isn't this just a copy paste of the press release from the NAALCP?
1: The article, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what you're saying, I think, goes into the answer to the original question you asked. Do you remember the original question you asked?
0: I asked, what does this have to do with tourism in Florida? Correct. Is this going to affect if I'm, if I'm a, a minority, which I am, I identify as a woman and, uh, I'm gay. Uh, if I go to South beach and, uh, I will said South Bay, but I corrected myself. If I go to South beach and I'm going to go get sunburned and go play in the, in the sand and, uh, and have, uh, uh, f- uh fancy food. And i look at the, uh, ridiculously over, overpriced rented cars, uh, parked parallel parked on the street, which I can never get over in, in, in South beach when I go there. Um, uh-huh. How does how does not teaching critical race theory affect me?
1: So this is an example, William, of why cancel culture exists and how cancel culture existed before social media and the Internet. This is, look, we've critiqued DeSantis' approach to Disney. And we've critiqued DeSantis' approach to the culture war, quote unquote as it is colloquially called, colloquially called. However, Florida is one of the few states that is actually fighting this war. It is the most prominent state that is fighting this war, not limited to because DeSantis is running for president. This is simply another example of trying to use social pressure to make Florida seem extremist and make Florida seem socially unacceptable. So that people would feel guilty for thinking these ideas that are being put forward in Florida and asking these questions, just as we saw during COVID, that you were called a COVID denier. Well, it's the same thing here. What do you, what do they call you instead of a COVID denier, William? They call you a Florida man. They call you a yeah. Floridian, or as you said, they call you a racist. And that is ultimately this is the, the this is
0: the this is the scarlet letter in our set in our times.
1: Yes, it is. This the is, is puritanical.
0: Letter. This is puritan philosophy. Um, collectivized and and weaponized for the modern era
1: well right it, it collectivizes the key word here it's puritan culture with a bent of collectivism whereas if you are not a collectivist they're going to put the red letter i on you yeah well justin so, i have a question
0: they... for you i have a question for you when yes. will the naa lcp start evacuating black people from florida
1: are, are you using the l because you're adding the, the latin american citizens in there
0: no, no. Uh, that's an old reference uh, to Rush Limbaugh. He used to call it the NAALCP on his show, the uh, Association for Liberal Colored People.
1: Oh, yes. That's, that's uh, a great yeah. point. Okay.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's just pointing out that, the, that that Thomas Sowell is not welcome at the NAALCP.
1: Right. Well, right. And that's the question you're asking, William, of when are they going to start evacuating is a wonderful Swiftian point. And, of course, I'm referring to Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal, where he makes fun of this kind of rhetoric. Because that's what it is. It's only rhetoric. It's only intended to make you think and feel things. And I should say feel then think things. They want you to feel first and think after. They want you to feel then act. They don't don't want you
0: to think, Justin. You're supposed to feel then act.
1: Okay, fair enough. They want you to feel then act, which will then create long-term muscle memory for this type of feeling and then acting, which will circumvent your thinking. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's not really about helping people. It's really about controlling the way people think. If they were really concerned, yes. If they were really concerned, they would create some sort of program to move everyone to, yeah, yeah. to I Georgia think. I North think Carolina. yeah.
0: Project idea for the midsiders uh, in the audience. Let's start a uh, start a GoFundMe for uh, evacuating black people from Florida and and just paste the entire uh, press release from the L C P and say we're raising funds to help uh, evacuate uh, black Floridians from the oppression that they're experiencing.
1: You know what's really, really funny, William? Because I just referenced Jonathan Swift and what you just said about the GoFundMe to ev- evacuate black Americans. So I took a humor writing class in college and we had to write a new modest proposal. And that's pretty much the modest proposal I wrote. It was the idea of (laughs) let's let's create a new country and let's put all black Americans in there. To eliminate all the problems they're facing and undo and pay them back for the issues they went through. This also made fun of the Israel situation. Yes, which created the problems there. And it made fun of the way we think action. And we think if we just pass laws and make decrees, it'll it'll solve things. And I want to be yeah. clear about that, yeah. that we're making, we're not literally saying evacuate black people from Florida, okay? <laughs> I want to be clear that I'm here every day and like. It's, and it's not,
0: it's not, uh, it's not like LA where there's uh, 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 people of color, as, as long as, along with tons of other people just, uh, you know, camped out on the streets. It's not like LA.
1: Correct. There there are some drug addicts wandering around here, but it's, it's not like that. And I want to be clear that. Uh, I I've said this before. I think there's more racism in L.A. than there is in Florida. Way so, more. Yeah. Like people people pretty much get along around here. All right. I want to be clear about that. On an interpersonal level, people get along around here. So please don't think we're trying to ship black people from Florida we're not but we're saying why is the insubl acp we're saying sarcastically facetiously why do they not want to if it's this much of a problem instead they're just trying to get you to stay away from here because they want you to economically because let's be clear economically florida is very much supported by tourism so they know if you take away the tourist dollar that it will hurt the cause of freedom And they also want you to not like Governor DeSantis either. All right, moving forward to other problems in public education. William, did you see this story before I shared it in the group thread?
0: No, I I, hadn't seen it until you shared it.
1: Okay, so I'm always interested in stories about discipline in the public education system. And I'm sure that's thing, things we've talked about here on the show before. Uh, we talked about the student who knocked out the teacher for taking his switch away or knocked out the teacher's aid for taking his switch away in Matanzas, Florida. Yes. Yeah. 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 So this is another example of this. This is in Tennessee. So in Tennessee, a high school teacher was pepper sprayed twice by an unruly student who became incensed after he confiscated her phone during class new video shows. So basically what happens is, because I don't want to go super into reading this article, but there's a, a video that kids filmed of after the initial encounter. And this continues into the hallway where a teacher took away a student's cell phone and then the student pepper sprayed him. Then they spilled into the hall and the, and the student pepper sprayed him. Again, and I don't know William, before I go into this, cause I think there are a couple errors here. I think there's a, a systemic issue here. And I also think there's an issue with how the teacher handled this situation. Uh, I, I want to get your impression of this before I go into to my stuff.
0: I guess I'm just such an old man. Why are phones allowed in, in the class? I, right. I know, I know the answer, but do you understand? That's my first reaction: is how are they even allowed out of your locker?
1: Yeah, so that's the systemic issue. The systemic issue that I think I've mentioned before, and tell me if I haven't, is I think the major problem is that there's no real mode of punishing students in public education. And what I mean by that is, in I would have had detention.
0: School, I, I would have had detention if I had a phone in class.
1: Right, but these kids don't care about detention, or they just don't go to detention. So what do you do if a kid doesn't go to detention? Give them more detention?
0: Do you suspend them?
1: Right, but then you suspend a kid who doesn't want to be in school, but legally you can't kick them out because they want to... Or, sorry, legally uh sorry, Josh M in the chat just said you're killing it with your discussions of education lately well that's because I'm on the ground floor my man I'm on the front lines. I see this every day right you can't you can't deny them an education because it's considered a uh, a right it's a right yeah. for the government to educate you, so okay, you give them detention they don't go, okay they don't go then you suspend them. well, you can't suspend them permanently because that would be denying them their rights. Whereas in a private school, if somebody is disruptive and doesn't want to learn, what do you do with them? You expel them. They don't have yeah. a right to that. And, and that's, that's the systemic issue that I was referring to that this article reveals that this situation reveals. It, it puts the teacher in a no win situation because the teacher has to hope that the students want to learn or want to at least respect the teacher, and I will say by and large, using the Pendulet principle of most people want to be good and most people are good, most students are that way. Most students don't want to pepper spray teachers, most students don't want to knock out teachers. But what do you do with a student who would, for whatever reason be they psychological, be they cultural? Right? And I'm not going to pa- start positing the answers of why this student felt it was okay to pepper spray a teacher. Or even why the student
0: has pepper spray in the school.
1: Well, I mean, I did have, you know, I have heard girls say they walk home and their parents don't want them walking home without any sort of self-defense, which that's reasonable to me. Although we did have a kid recently taunt students. Isn't that another
0: example of something that should be left in your locker, though?
1: Right. Well, but that's I mean, that's part of it. Right. How do you get everyone to leave their phones in their locker, get everyone to leave their pepper spray in their locker. There's no way of enforcing all of this. Yeah. There is no way of enforcing all of this. And that goes back into what uh, the teacher should have done. And I think this is the smaller one. Um, here we go. Before I I, I say something, Josh M. just said, I'm a teacher as well. We just spent a year of professional learning days talking about phone use. Everyone acknowledged that the overuse of phone is damaging to learning. There's good and bad to phone use, of course, but there's no discipline, external or internal, in education. Exactly correct, right? So I think phones are wonderful tools if used correctly. Never in the history of the world have we had information available at our fingertips the way we do. If used that way, they are wonderful and they can be an aid in the education process. I honestly could teach a full course if we just had the phone. Because I can look up books, we can look up articles, we can do research, we can communicate with people throughout the world to do interviews, to find experts. However, the issue with phones is it's got to be self-disciplined. And what I mean by that, William, is you have to know when to use what apps. It's very easy to always open up TikTok and look for, let's not even talk about app use, right? TikTok, as much as I bag on it, could be used educationally. However, when you're on the app, you have to be very self-disciplined to make sure you're not getting distracted. And no one is learning that discipline, even everyone our age, so they become a negative for the classroom. But here's where I think the teacher made the mistake, Okay. here's where I think the teacher made the mistake. I don't think a teacher should ever take personal property from a student. Do you understand what I mean by that, William? Yes, I think it's I think it's uh, I I, I think that
0: it shows a disrespect for treating the person as an adult. It's sort of the principles act as if right. You know, you should act as if, oh, this is a mistake you've made. Here's the consequences of the mistake you've made. But taking the phone away, I think, escalates rather than de-escalates. If Correct. That makes any sense. So, yeah. And it validates the person's discipline, right? Yes, You're trying to get them right. to self-discipline.
1: Correct. And exactly. That goes into what Josh M. just said in Discord. He said, kids use phones to avoid critical thinking or find someone else's opinions rather than to gather information to develop one's own thoughts on a topic. That's correct, and that's the self-discipline you're talking about, William. They're never going to develop that self-discipline if you're not treating them as if they can have the self-discipline. And what I mean by that is, no matter what a student does, if a student, you know, a young lady starts using her makeup, right? She starts putting makeup on in class, Um, you know, a young man starts putting deodorant on in class and I've never had a young man shave. But if a young man were to shave in class or I guess a young woman, I don't want to assume if a gender can grow facial hair or not. Right. I don't want to get canceled right now for that. That was a joke, by the way, Um, whether they're eating or not, whether they're on their phone or not. I have never gone up to a student and taken that student's phone. Now, let me put a caveat in there. There are students I have better relationships with. If one of my wrestlers, ah, Midsider Josh, I appreciate it. He just changed one's own thoughts on a topic to their own thoughts on a topic. Thank you for eliminating your uh, pretentious pronoun use. I know you didn't do it intentionally, but one is such a pretentious use of a pronoun. Uh, But, you know, my wrestlers, if I've had them in class and I've jokingly taken their phone before, you know, or other athletes I'm close with or students who I have trust with, I'll jokingly take something or I'll jokingly take an earbud out of someone I know's ears. But do you think I go up to kids and take their headphones off their head? How disrespectful is that? William, you're my friend. If I went up to you and, you know, I don't vape and you do, if I took your vape away from you. How disrespected would you feel?
0: <laughs> it's, that, that would be pretty odd. It would be super. Uh, it's a uh, boundary breaking. I think is the right. point that you're trying to make. It's a breaking a right, boundary. Right, and I, not, I think you're not my parent, and the teacher is not the parent either.
1: Right. Well, and it, it even without regarding the parental thing, what authority figure should be physically taking objects from another person? You're not your parent. You're not a prison guard. That's not yeah, how we should yep. react in a society based on individualism. So while I have sympathy for the teacher for being put in a tough systemic situation, honestly, fuck him for thinking he can just take this the student's phone like that. Like, you know what I do? I just talk to the student and if they don't respond, I either say, OK, leave the classroom or be quiet. And that's the end of it. And honestly, most of the time they leave the classroom. I'll say, look, if you're going to be like that, that's fine. Just don't be in my classroom. And then you know what? Whatever consequences they deal with outside of my classroom, that's on the administration because I'm more worried about what's going on in my classroom. And, and that's the respect I give them. It's a choice. If you're going to be in my room, don't be on your phone. Don't be listening to music loudly. Don't be eating a full meal from Subway. Yeah, I can be pretty reasonable, but I think do I think the teacher should have been pepper sprayed? No, but I think we can agree, William, the teacher crossed the boundary first, which should have never been crossed. Yep. Okay, there was going to be another story we were going to discuss about education where uh, a student in L.A. sued uh, the school district uh, and the USDA for making her promote cow milk. but look into that on your own. It's pretty funny, but I don't really want to go into it for the sake of time. So we're going to move forward to a Twitter thread that, uh, midsider Daniel, the former co-host, shared with us. So as you can see, midsider Daniel may not be here in voice, but he still is highly influential on the show. I mean, obviously he was best man at my wedding, so he's highly influential on me. So of course he indirectly shapes the show, but he directly shapes it. So this person at Ian Brown tweeted, Screenshots, And she said, this thread about the tyranny of packed lunches is, is amazing. And I think this discussion encapsulates so much, William, because often we say, oh, you know, social media doesn't represent real life. It, it doesn't. It, it represents a select group of people. It represents a select group of people who are chronically online and are disconnected from reality and who need to touch grass. But I do think there is something in these screenshots that is present in our entire culture. So I'm going to read some of these tweets. The original tweet. I don't understand what people do about lunch at work. Either you spend 20 to $40 every day eating out, if there's even an option, or you spend tons of time making food to bring, or you bring microwave slash easy stuff, which is 300 calories, and then you're started starving an hour later.
0: Is this adulting?
1: Yes, this goes back to the adulting thing. So then somebody replies with the subreddit Meal Prep Sunday, which, again, people wondering, why do you read Reddit at all, Justin? Well, because there's somewhat useful information in there. You can find stuff if you get behind the hive mind. Although right now I'm currently being blown up because people on the... uh, Walt Disney World subreddit are mad that I said, why are you mad at teenagers for being at Disney World? But anyway. Um, so then the person replied to the meal prep Sunday link. I'm supposed to spend a whole ass day of the week making meals for the week. So <laughs> if if somebody else-
0: <laughs> Justin, how much food could I cook in eight hours on a Sunday?
1: <laughs> a lot. You could co- you could cook a whole lot of fucking food in eight hours. You know how long it takes me to meal prep my lunch for the week, William? Like an hour and a half. And most of that is 25 minutes of the food cooking and then another half an hour of that cooling down where I am doing other things. Like when I put the chicken in the oven earlier, I was watching the third episode of the Muppets Mayhem show. So it's not even <laughs> fully it's not even full time invested only to cooking because you, you just all things I
0: do is, you know, I live I live by myself, just me and, and the dog Remington. I just cook enough for four people every time I cook. And guess what I have? Meals for the next day's work. Just right built in.
1: And somebody essentially (laughs) said that. See, there's an easy answer, but you're lazy and want an easy fix. Just try making your own lunch and stop complaining. And then the, the thread continues. No, somebody else chimed in. No, it isn't laziness or wanting an easy fix. Why do we have to spend time off of work preparing for work? You really don't need what? to suck capital. Why do I need addictive. to drive?
0: <laughs> Why do I have to drive to work? I should be on the clock when I'm driving to work, Justin.
1: There are people who argue that. Have you not seen that argument?
0: Yeah, I have.
1: I have. And then someone replied, "Do you not eat on days off?" Sure, usually, <laughs> but often it is as simple as a safety meal of crackers and cheese safety. or chips and hummus. How do you live? Safe? Dude, how do you Safety. live on crackers and cheese or <laughs> chips and hummus? And <laughs> oh then someone replied, and you can't spend the three minutes it takes to grab those on a weekday. Now, William, the, you said the adulting thing. The adulting thing is certainly cor- correct, but this goes back to the discussion of the NAACP's attack on Florida and the discussion of the education system, where you have to acknowledge certain premises. This goes back to metaphysically primacy of existence. Existence exists and is independent of us and can be understood because that goes back to reality to be commanded. In order to command reality, you must understand it. Right? That's a paraphrase of the, the famous quote by uh, Sir Francis Scott Bacon. And it's the idea that there is objective truth. Now, we can argue where the line is between objective truth and subjective truth. Uh, feelings and subjective optional values and things like that. I'm not interested in that debate. What I am interested in talking about here is the tyranny of packed lunches isn't really the tyranny of packed lunches to these people. It's the tyranny of reality. They want to be freed from the responsibility of being alive.
0: Yeah. How fundamental can you you get with this point when it's literally the food right it's capitalism's fault that he's he needs to use this wonderful thing we have called the supermarket where he can get tens of thousands of items of food put them together in his own combination prepare and cook them and then enjoy them for ridiculously low cost right that's capitalism's fault versus in the state of nature this person would not live justin They would be unable, there would be no, who would provide for that? They would be unable to operate. So, fuck capitalism.
1: Well, right, because fundamentally, what would change in a different economic system or a different social system in regards to eating? In regards to So, regardless of if you're working or sitting around all day, do you still not need to eat? Absolutely. You need to eat. So the food, you're not spending your time off of work preparing for work. You're spending your time off of work to prepare for living. And you just happen to work in order to live or you choose to work in that time living. It's it's, it's astounding that people see reality as tyrannical. And that's what's terrifying here is under collectivism, people see reality as tyrannical because they externalize everything. This idea that capitalism is the one creating these issues. That's what's scary.
0: That yeah, is. But Justin, I have some advice for this uh, this Twitter person. What's his name? Ian Bogost. Are you ready for my advice to him? Never be a beta. Just never, ever do it. It is death. That's my advice.
1: Well, okay, that's why that quote is funny, right? Because usually we're making fun of the guy in that quote because he's just parroting language to sound like he's not a beta, even though he is a beta. But these people replying here and complaining about the tyranny of packed lunches or prepared lunches, or whatever. what is it? The tyranny of prepared, packed, what is the people? I'm scrolling over. Yeah, the tyranny of packed lunches are being beta. They are trying to make it so somebody else is responsible for their living.
0: You know, when maybe, our, maybe I, this is, maybe like Daniel said. I don't want to live on this planet oh, no, sorry. anymore. What Daniel said. I am still privileged in some way. Justin, two of my recent jobs, my long career in the gaming industry and the space industry, we had food provided for us for lunch. So maybe this guy just needs a better job. Maybe he needs to go uber capitalist.
1: Yeah. And and that's the thing, right? That's the thing that's lost with government regulation. And that's an angle I didn't expect to take on this. But in a true free market, you can negotiate whatever contract you want. With your employer, and you can work for whatever employer you want. So, you can work for an employer that has a cafeteria that you can buy affordable, nutritious food from, or you can negotiate in your contract that you have nutritious meals prepared for you every day. Now, in order to do that, you are going to have to prove you have a high amount of worth to which then they're going to again reply. Well, that's the tyranny of capitalism. And that's why you're sucking capitalism's dick because that's unfair to people who aren't as quote unquote privilege. They would call ability privilege. Right. But that's the point is there are all sorts of options available for everyone. And you can make these things work. Maybe I am naive. William, Maybe I'm naive, but I think as culture grows and as our success grows, that in a true free market, I think companies would be willing to help out their employees more than not. This goes back to, and maybe this is the ultimate point of this entire week of farce. Does this not go back to interpersonal hostility? The belief that the boss is always out to get them.
0: Well, yeah, the boss is part of the system, and the system is out to get them. But that's your. But that makes your.
1: Right. Whereas I would think, and I don't know, that's just because I just put myself in the position of power. I mean, I'm in power over. Hold on, that's 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 your. I am still privileged in some way. That's yeah, what it is. So I think, I think of my privilege and I think of, you know, how I'm a coach of my team. Do you think I want to be more successful to help them less? More
0: successful. Yeah. In order to be more successful, you help them less. Is that what you're saying?
1: No, I'm saying if we become more successful, do you think that makes me want to help oh, them you, less?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like somehow there's perverse incentive between the uh, employer and employee. That's like the right. old the old argument Yaron Brooke always makes about how elevator operators are the business of killing their customers. That's their that's their goal, right? Because the more the more broken elevators they can sell, the better it will be, right?
1: Yeah. Exactly. And that you know, that goes to the whole cancer research thing too, right? Nobody's cured cancer because uh, they want to keep people sick because it makes them more yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that all goes back to interpersonal hostility. And maybe that's the ultimate point here. Right is these people who see everything as interpersonal hostility, the war of every man against every man are going to see everything as tyrannical because it's all excuse from letting them an excuse that keeps them from realizing their true self and doing what they really want in life. All right, that brings us to the end of farce for the week. Let's talk about some art in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML.
0: Put me into syndication. Broadcast to a network station of people viewing their favorite episodes.
1: I can't find a new pitch to throw the studios. I need a rerun to better cast the next series of events. In the air timeline laps, my made-for-TV type was written off. In the last season when I wasn't focused on, as always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Just click on the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast. And inside any episode post is a link to join our Discord Discord. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love for you to submit some farce. We'd love to hear what you think about the trailers we share in the Discord. For this week, William, I'd like to review. Clerks 3. Have you seen the first two Clerks? Yes. What did you think of each of them?
0: I, uh, you know, I'm <clears throat> I'm very picky when it's finicky, of a very unique taste when it comes to comedies. I liked the first one. I found it was funny. Uh, the second one, it wasn't as enjoyable, a little bit absurd, but I still had a good time with it. it it's not one I've revisited. But I would say in the last five years, I've probably watched Clerks, the first one, twice. So it's, it's one that I enjoyed. But, uh, but Clerks 2, meh. I've I, I watched it probably once and only, and I haven't really watched it since.
1: Yeah, so I think that's fair. And I would probably say what you said about Clerks 2 is what I think about both of them. Except I would be a little stronger than meh. I pretty much enjoy Kevin Smith's movies. I mean, I even like Jersey girl. I, now I haven't seen Tusk and I haven't seen, uh, what what is the, the Canadian Hoosiers movie or whatever it is where his daughter plays someone fighting for something, I, the horror movie or whatever it is. I haven't seen that one either. So I haven't seen all his movies, but when I see a Kevin Smith movie, I enjoy it. I laugh. I think it's creative. I don't think it's the pinnacle of filmmaking, but I think he has talents and, it was incredible to me that there was a sequel to Clerks, but it also wasn't very hard. And what I mean by that is, I never thought there would be a sequel to Clerks. It was about two guys working at a convenience store. It wasn't naturalistic. It was just showing their lives, but it was also making a point about their lives and trying to emphasize what their lives were like. What the lives of the, the average person working at a convenience store felt like. Sort of like an existential ennui piece. Then they sort of took that in the second movie, Kevin Smith took the second movie, and he made that about working in a fast food establishment, which sort of makes sense It sort of tracks. And there was a whole plot there about taking control of your own life. And, you know, Randall and Dante went back and they bought the convenience store. They bought the quick stop and they became its owners. And that was sort of them taking control of of their own life. And with Clerks 2, William, what I'll remember always about Clerks 2 Do you remember them arguing about Lord of the Rings versus Star Wars in that movie? Yeah. Yeah, and I'll always remember that. I'll always remember uh, Randall making fun of Lord of the Rings by saying the entire trilogy was just walking back and forth and then dropping the ring in a hole. Like, that's really funny, and I'll always remember visually him doing that. And I've done that joke before in person, walking across and saying that's what the movies were. So there are some good bits in these movies, and they're entertaining, which is why I watch Clerks 3. Here is my one-sentence review of Clerks 3. What's impressive is that Kevin Smith manages to not only ring comedy, but genuine poignancy out of a third visit to the quick stop. William, I think the absurdity here is, would you ever think you could do three movies out of Clerks? No, no. No, and the fact that he does, I think, speaks to Kevin Smith's ability. And the, the the fact that it's watchable and that it's amusing, and it makes a point about this stage in life. And I don't want to spoil and give too much away, but there's there's a movement here. There's three movements, you know, young life, middle age, late in life. There's intentional movements here and intentional statements on these parts of life. And I think that there is some reflection of Kevin Smith's own life because the main characters deal with heart issues as well, which I believe, did Kevin Smith have a heart attack or did he just have heart issues?
0: I think he had heart issues, yeah. He's lost a lot of weight recently.
1: Right, he has, and all of this is involved with that. And that's what I'm talking about with the with the genuine poignancy. Now, the difficulty with reviewing this movie and recommending it is I don't know if this would make sense if you hadn't seen the first two, because the the premise here is essentially... Randall has a heart attack and he wants to take advantage of his life and live it by making a movie about being clerks and the movie he makes is the first clerks. So there's a sort of whole meta thing and it works and it, it doesn't come across as hokey, but I don't know if a lot of the jokes would land if you don't know these characters well, but if you know them, it works. So ultimately, I would give Clerks 3 a solid bro movie. It's one of the... Bro rating. It's one of the better... Clerks 3 is one of the better movies that uh, I saw this year. But again, I think you'd have to see the other two first. So there's worse movies you could spend your time with. There's worse days you could spend than sitting down with the Clerks trilogy and enjoying them. Okay, that's a movie that came out... We're going to discuss movies that are going to come out. I post the trailers for Trailer Takedown in the Discord on the Saturdays before we record. So that's so you can watch them whenever you want. Maybe you watch them all before the episode, watch them all after the episode, or during. Maybe you watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. Pretty Red Dress is about... I'm actually not sure what this trailer is about from watching it. Or I should say, I wasn't sure what this movie was about before watching it. It didn't look, it doesn't look terribly shot. Like the, these actors look talented. They seem to be doing fine, but there seems to be no plot in this trailer. So I was like, what is this movie about? Then I read the YouTube summary that the production company provided. And I understood why they're obscuring what this trailer is about. So in the trailer itself, this guy gets out of prison and buys a red dress for his girlfriend or wife. It's unclear the exact dynamic between them. And then she tries to become a singer by wearing that dress. That's what she uses on her auditions and things like that. And that's the entire trailer. There doesn't seem to be any conflict or anything, but here is the, the summary set against the backdrop of South London and humming with the energy of iconic Tina Turner hits. And you know, that, that sounds cool. It reminds me of that movie set in London with Bob Dylan as its soundtrack. Mm. Pretty red dress follows a family tested to their limit. When Travis fresh out of jail is found wearing a dress by his partner, Candace and secretive teenage daughter, Kanisha. reads the movie synopsis. The family is set spinning by the startling discovery and the truths that remain. So what bothers me the most about this trailer is not that they want to tackle this subject matter. Would I want to watch this subject matter about a guy who's dealing with, um, issues with his own gender or gender confusion and he enjoys cross dressing? No. What bothers me though, is that this is sort of hidden in the trailer. I don't even want to say sort of that. This is hidden in the trailer. They're trying to get people to want to watch a movie and then it turns into something else because most people aren't going to read the synopsis. They're simply going to watch the trailer and make a decision based on that. So I would tackle it simply because I'm not interested in the subject matter. However, this is an even stronger tackle because of how disingenuous this marketing approach is.
0: Echo. yeah I, I i didn't need to read the description i guess the only thing that the description clarified was it was cross-dressing because the band was obsessed with the dress like in the shots and i was just like why is he so fixated on this but then read the description that brought the rest together the because so i was like is he like like chasing women like i thought it was chasing women with that dress right um or maybe it was connected to his crime. Like it was so weird. Like you said, it's it's, it's so intentionally obscuring it. Um, but I don't know. This seems like you know Oscar bait, Kane's bait. I don't know. It doesn't look like like what is this really going to say about anything? And like, there's if you're going to dramatize this sort of subject, you're either dramatizing it because you want to talk about cross dressing, or you want to talk about some sort of societal issue. Right. Of a secret of um, a secret destroying a family. Right. But, Justin, am I is it weird to me that it's involving someone coming out of prison? Wouldn't that have been the story about the, the family surviving a trauma like it just? Yeah, that, I don't know. That,
1: the, the prison thing is very, very strange as an add on to it. it. It does make maybe it there's more like,
0: here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think there's more here systemically in regards to what him having to repress his urges makes him do. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But that's not, but because they're obscuring it, there's no hook there, right? There's no hook there. Do you want to sit through a show that uh, where someone uncomfortable, someone's family uncomfortably and awkwardly breaks apart?
1: I think without the,
0: without the, so what I don't think it's even watchable.
1: Right, and that's my point. Is I think they're obscuring it because the so what is very insidious. Does that make sense? Yeah. The so what yeah. is oh, we need to accept everyone doing these kind of things, and these kind of things aren't delinquent, and they need to be normalized and, and aren't to-
0: destroying families. And yeah. and Justin, Justin, I there was a I would I should have dug it up, but I didn't have time today flying around. Um, there was a, a piece someone had wrote. Uh, a couple months ago about uh, about people transitioning and destroying their families and and sort of the 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 wives that are left behind these like widow wives that are left behind and I think that this is a movie this could be a movie to try and vilify that right correct and that, that's what me, I think the insidious that, thing is yeah that to me is what makes me just want to run from this movie. Uh, right. Because if it's going to go in that direction, then fuck you. You know,
1: the so, the other movie uh, you described would be interesting. The movie about from the perspective of the wife who feels abandoned and widowed over the transition. That would be an interesting movie. But we're not allowed yeah. to tell that story.
0: That's the, that. Yeah, that would be the story. That would definitely be the story.
1: Well, so, it's a yeah. story. I think there are both stories. I think you could tell the story from the p- transitioning person as well. But I don't think we'd be able to tell that story honestly either. Yep. So I think I'll pass on this
0: one. Tackle.
1: Second trailer. The perfect find is a gender swapped version of the typical falling in love with the boss's daughter story starring Gabrielle Union. So obviously she's falling. in. Well, I shouldn't even say obvious in the year 2023. Right. Uh, It is gender swapped completely. So Gabrielle Union is falling in love with the boss's son. The boss is played by Gina Torres. Uh, if you remember her from Firefly, great actress. I mean, Gabrielle Union's a good, good actress. This is a Netflix movie. Again, the production looks good in this movie. The acting looks fine. But I don't really like the falling in love with the boss's daughter story. It doesn't interest me. I don't think I'd enjoy falling in love with the boss's son. And uh, the way I stumbled upon describing this just now makes me think we will inevitably see a... a, a LGBTQII++ two-spirited version of this as well where a, a lesbian or gay man or trans man or trans woman falls in love with the bosses whatever gendered or non-gendered term you want to use so like with all romantic comedies the movie's been told the story's been told a bunch of times before the hook being the genders are swapped doesn't really do much for me to want to see this tackle
0: <clears throat> I want to see these actors doing a story, but not not so much that I want to see this kind of uh, cliched story, just with gender roles swapped. Does that make sense, Justin? I love all these actors. I want yeah. to see them. Like, I, like I, I was smiling seeing them in the in the preview, but then I'm like, this is it. This is all it's going to be. What oh, a bunch a of cast. talent to get together! What it's, it's such a, a good, good cast. Best. Talented,
1: good-looking, like you. You want how, to hang out with? How can I people. tackle? <laughs> how can
0: I tackle Zoe? Tackle.
1: Tackle. Third trailer. Theater camp stars Ben Platt, who was in. Um, I can't remember the name. The adaptation of the kid who. Dear, dear, what was it called? Crap. The mu- the musical adaptation. Dear Evan Hansen. Right yes, dear Evan Hansen. he Benjamin Platt started this and now it's about a bunch of counselors and uh, what are people who attend a camp called campers campies campers Yeah I don't campers at a camp morning, campers morning campers yeah at a, at a at a theater camp uh, the entire trailer just seems to revel in the fact that these people are weirdos to the point that William, You have to check me here, right? Because my straightness is getting in the way. It seemed that they turned all of these people into stereotypes in the the over-the-top, like we had to have the the RuPaul-type character, and then we had to make these preteen or, you know, 13-year-old kids seem over-the-top gay, and they had to be stereotypes. And it just seems to be, this seems weirdly... To be a trailer, a movie about theater people reveling in the fact of the stereotype of theater people being weird, and it's it's just very strange to I me. Mean, it's very off putting for that reason. And again, but let's th- let's I, take the heteronormative approach here. C- correct, it is very much the heteronormative approach. And beyond that, again, I didn't have any idea what was going on in this movie until I read the synopsis that said that the camp is about to be shut down and they're trying to fight for survival. Why don't you put that in there rather than focusing on the fact that it's weird, right? Like, hey, give me a conflict and maybe I'll like the fact, hey, a bunch of weirdos are being shut out and they want to keep their weirdo camp going so they can have a place to be weird. That's American. I can get behind that. You weirdos want to go over there and hang out and be weirdos? Fine. I don't care. And you want to fight for it because people are trying to take it away from you? Oh, I can get behind that. I want to support you, right? Isn't that the whole premise of The Greatest Showman? That he created a place for weirdos to make money and be celebrated? And people tried to shut them down? And that's an enjoyable movie, critiques of it aside. So again, the trailer here I think makes this movie look a hell of a lot worse. And I think, William, it's because they're trying to pander to the prevailing social justice wins. So not only is that affecting movie production now, it's affecting movie marketing. Oh, look, we fit this... Box, that's why you should see us. Tackle. Tackle. <clears throat> this trailer was only made for
0: theater kids. And you're absolutely right. It seemed, even the counselor, uh, the guy running the camp, is a stereotype. He's the stereotype straight counselor dude, right? Like, doesn't know what a straight play is, right?
1: Yeah. Like, like you can't figure out from context that yeah. a musical is one that has music, and a straight play is one that doesn't have music. Yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, uh, this looks. The preview makes this look super stereotyped, like a uh, tight cast, and also super like uh, surface level, right? And and no conflict. I I don't know, like this looks boring, but it's like, it's, it's like theater kid bait, right? They're, they're going to, the theater, if, if, if this marketing works, they'll just be packed with theater kids to watch this because it's a movie about that many theater. It's about our communities, Justin. It's about the theater communities.
1: Are there that many Uh, that can make that much money for a movie?
0: I have no idea. And we're going to, we're going to find out, but I'm not going to tackle
1: tackle tackle. Fourth trailer. The creator is another story about AI taking over the world. It's another evil AI story starring John David Washington. However, that negative sort of redundancy of another one of these stories aside, I think that the production and directing of this looks tremendous. Like, this is what I want a big budget science fiction movie to look like and i think that's partially because the person who's directing it correct me if i'm wrong william or google it it says it's the director of, of rogue one is my memory correct that's gareth edwards or is it the wrong name coming to my head i'll look it up look Give it up because i think it's gareth edwards but the point is this like production wise this looks tremendous
0: yep it's gareth edwards
1: gareth, okay so gareth edwards i think he learned a lot and he probably already had good experience, which is why he did Rogue One. And I, that shows you how much I have in my brain that's useless, that I can just pull that brain, that out of my head. I've seen Rogue World once, and I'm not a Star Wars fan. But I, I, I want to I really like this movie. I really, really want to like this movie. It's sci-fi, production level is great. It, it seems like I'd really enjoy it. There's just one thing that I'm really concerned about. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not a genius. I'm not sure how that fits in here. Uh, maybe you'll explain <laughs> that. The the okay. w- one thing I am concerned about is they show that the AI that presumably is the one controlling everything. You know, so the this trailer starts out with an a, that the human species is at risk. So the AI, which no, correct my memory here, William. As you can see, I'm fumbling with this. That tells you how much I'm challenged by this premise. Didn't they say the po- AI was created to protect human life and make human life better? Yes. yes. And then they say at the beginning of the trailer, the AI nuked Los Angeles? Yes. Was your reaction that the AI is filling its purpose then? <laughs> Not necessarily. I guess
0: more context would be needed, but... Uh... Yeah. Los Angeles has a ton of, uh, of, of, of stuff to salvage. I wouldn't just nuke it.
1: Right. I mean, I'm obviously being over the top and making a joke, but my, that was my humor, right? My first thought was, what's the problem? It, so it correctly assessed that LA is a threat to human life, right? But beyond that, they reveal that the AI that's in charge of everything is a child. Now, this is what I don't understand, Okay, Because the whole point of the movie then is, should John David Washington kill the AI, AI and save humans, or should he uh, take the side of the AI and fight against the humans who are trying to kill the AI? Because the humans have now decided the AI is a threat to humans. And again, this is sort of similar to Battlestar Galactica and the Cylons and the skin jobs, so it's been done before. But my question is, it, are these AI some sort of hybrid between humans and AI, because otherwise, why does it matter that the AI is a kid or not? The, 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 the trailer seems to be saying, oh, he's protecting the AI because it's a child. But if it's AI, it's not going to grow up. It's going to stay a child perpetually. So I'm assuming there is something missing from this trailer. That there's more going on in this movie that they're not showing us. That makes it more of an intelligible premise as to why he would be protecting the AI. So because of that, and because of how awesome this looks, this is a hug for me. Hug. Yeah, I think this is,
0: I, I, I totally agree with you. There's got to be something more. They've got to deliver on the promise that it's something more complicated than like I can see, I can see. Like, just to give you an example, I can see this being like, oh, the we think that the cre- the 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 most important part of the AI is in this place because the AI is protecting this place the most, and then we come to find out it's the AI's attempt at creating a better AI, a child, right? Like something something that is like correcting for the mistakes it was making, right? Something like that, right? Like there's tons that can there's tons of potential. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, yes, it looks great. Um, it, the vibe I get is very much, um, the, the, uh, uh, the Robin Williams AI mixed with Terminator sort of vibes, right? Um, so it looks, it looks, uh, super interesting. Finally, a sci-fi show, uh, a, 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 a new, it, this looks new. This isn't based on a book as far as I can tell. Um, and it's a, it is a new story. Yes, it has some of the sci-fi tropes, but maybe I'm just too starved for it, Justin, but I'm, I'm kind this is the first Trailer takedown that I'm actually looking for the uh, premiere date so I can make sure I see it in theater. Hug.
1: Hug. Final trailer. Killers of the Flower Moon is the new, much-typed Martin Scorsese movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio. It's set around the time of the American founding, the American colonization, and it's exactly what you would think from the name. Killers of the Flower Moon is the white people are evil for, I don't what word would I use? Conquering the natives of this country? You know, wh- what do they say, William, when they always had to say, like, we have to give acknowledgments of...
0: Uh, land acknowledgments, first peoples, which is deeply ironic, right? The, right? the idea that the tribes that, when America came, were the first uh, humans uh, in North America is completely yeah. farcical. Yeah. Right, we know this so, from genetic studies.
1: Correct, and all humans came from genetically came from northern Africa. Yes, so we all yeah, conquered yeah. different lands, mixed right. with some
0: Neanderthal, mixed with some Neanderthal, which you could say were the first peoples because Neanderthal evolved before uh, Homo sapien.
1: So essentially, it's a you know, we're we're evil for killing the first people here and taking the taking the land. That is a movie. Uh, yeah. I don't know what Martin Scorsese actually believes. I don't know if he's just pandering at this point. He did co-write this, but they turned the comments off on this on the YouTube. Does Apple always do that, William? No, not that I know of. Okay, so that shows you something, the fact that Apple, the Apple TV Plus channel turned this off, turned the comments off on it. I mean, I'm sure they thought they were getting a big get by being able to have a Martin Scorsese movie being an Apple original movie that said that at the beginning. I've seen some claims that this is Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance ever. I don't know if we can take that seriously or not given the subject matter, but this, William, you want to talk about Oscar bait? This is the definition of Oscar bait. This is the definition of pandering. Uh, This is a prime example of a chicken and egg. What is destroying our culture? And, A end point of how our culture has been destroyed. Tackle.
0: Tackle. I'm so very torn by this. I know that if I watch it, I will be incredibly disappointed. And I know if I don't watch it, that uh, that the performances will be something that I will miss. Right. Does that make sense? what i'm saying like the, the the kinds of performances i'm sure the score states you can get out of these actors are are going to be amazing but the story is going to be so anti i can already just predict right we're, we're, we don't know maybe we'll maybe we'll both be surprised but this is going to be so anti-american so anti-capitalist so anti-human uh, and so sort of Rousseauian nativist that like it won't even be it won't be watchable that's my prediction i hope i'm wrong justin I hope I'm wrong because uh you know my uh my my business partner out here, he loves Leonardo DiCaprio movies, and so I know he'll he's gonna want to watch it. But I have to I have to say no thanks. Tackle. All
1: right, William. That brings us to the end of our trip. What did you learn? I learned that instead of packing my lunch, you should eat it.
0: Jersey Mike's order now on jerseymikes.com. Justin, what did you learn? Love it, I
1: love it. I love the plug. Uh, I learned that. John- it's capitalism. It's capitalism. Ironic using uh, capitalism to go against that guy's complaining about ca- complaining about capitalism, although you do love sucking Dick, so you would suck capitalism. Yeah, that's dick, true.
0: So. that's true. I would. gladly. Capitalism uh, deserves it. All, the, all that it's given me.
1: Uh, I learned that apparently John David Washington is the next great sci-fi actor. He's been in a lot of great sci-fi films. I've liked a lot of what he did. So good to see him getting with another big director, making what could be another great movie. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking into my closet, the corner of my closet, like a crazy person still is that, but you make me feel a little bit less crazy and to make me feel even better. You can support us by going to midside.com slash store, the midside.com slash the cut, pick up one of, or pick up my book, pick up a copy, one of the copies of my book, or midside.com's Patreon, midside.com slash locals. We accept any and all support. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's how we keep the lights on. And as always, the best way to grow the show is to tell a female friend. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin M. reminding you that if things get tough, Take a step back and witness the farce.
0: Have an AI-free day. You know, jokes are all about timing. If I had hit the I am not a genius when you had said uh, I have uh, silly things about the directors of Star Wars movies stuck in my head, it would have been better. But sadly, I am not on home turf. That's my only defense and not hitting it quick enough.
1: Yeah, it's it's easier when if we were in the same room as well, it would be easier live. So,
0: <laughs> So that's why that joke didn't land. Thank you for joining my TED Talk. Good night, everyone.